Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Today we come to you from San Antonio, Texas, and I am standing on River Walk, the beautiful downtown renewal, which has made this city, besides the Alamo, world famous. We're here to look at the future of cities, the so-called smart cities, at a conference organized by CPS, the utility in San Antonio. We will hear about the digitization of cities, transportation in cities, and their organization as we move into the future. I'm glad to welcome back to our cameras Brian Dillard, who is the Chief Innovation Officer for the City of San Antonio. And I want to drill in on one thing in particular. How are you tackling the digit divide? Absolutely. The, which is very large. They yeah. say the digital divide. Um, you know, you can't check into a hotel, you can't rent an Uber, you can't even rent a scooter without a credit card. This suggests that the divide is getting in some ways worse. The poor have very few options. Uh, how is that working? I know you're working on that problem. Absolutely. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on again. Uh, digital divide is a very apparent issue for us, especially as we work in the space of innovation and smart cities. Uh, as we begin to dive deeper into the digital realm, there is definitely an, an understanding that uh, a, a part of our residents don't have access to that digital realm. Uh, so what we've been working on lately is uh, we actually just completed a survey phase of our digital divide assessment, uh, which is a huge project. It's actually city and countywide uh, that we're working on locally. So we're identifying three components. Uh, the first component is where is broadband infrastructure and where isn't it throughout our city? Uh, the second component is access to devices. So understanding I can provide free Wi-Fi, but if my residents don't have devices to access that Wi-Fi, uh, then it doesn't really matter. And the third is the most important, is the digital literacy piece. So understanding I can provide free Wi-Fi, I can provide you a free laptop, but if you don't know how to use it or what to use it for, then none of it really matters. So it's all about resourcing, understanding that the city of San Antonio, in partnership with our partners, uh, that we have a lot of resources to leverage, but we need to identify where those gaps are on a granular level when it comes to our community members. And also very important in schools. Absolutely. Yeah, tremendously. We know a lot of schools are uh, sending home homework, sending home studies uh, in a digital form. Uh, many of our kids don't have access to that. So how do we solve that with those school districts? How do we solve that from a state level uh, to identify some solutions coming from there? What other areas are you personally, Brian, working in? Right. So uh, our three focus areas revolve around mobility, uh, sustainability, and access to services. And when we talk about access to services, how do you access the city government easier? How do you access partners like CPS Energy, our municipal provider, easier? Um, so that's really where we're focusing on the digital divide at. I didn't want to jump into all the technology and start doing all these cool projects if my residents don't have access to it. So that's access to services. Mobility is the second one. Uh, as San Antonio grows and has grown and urban sprawl has taken place, uh, our folks have been more separated from their jobs or where they're working and playing and all that. How do we get them there in a more rapid manner and a most, most more efficient manner? So VIA, our Metropolitan Transit Agency, is actually one of our partners. We're working with them on ideating around uh, util utilization of autonomous vehicles to connect people from transit stops to where they need to go and back. Uh, understand that we have to be proactive with that technology before it gets dropped onto us as a city. Uh, and then the third one is our sustainability item. So we're doing a smart streetlight project right now with CPS Energy throughout our three innovation zones that will be collecting information on air quality, temperature sensing, flood detection, all these items that really contribute to a smarter city. And what have you learned in your innovation that 
you can teach to yeah. other cities? Uh, I think a, a, a lot of the failures are the best things to pass along. Uh, so a lot of folks say that San Antonio is behind the curve on a lot of things, and we actually take that as a, as a benefit. Uh, because there are cities around that curve that have figured out some lessons learned, some failures, and they're yelling back and saying, hey, don't do it this way. Uh, one of the biggest things for us is the community-driven approach that we take to smart cities. That's the biggest lesson that we've learned is you can't execute on something based on what government is dictating. You can't execute on something based on what a vendor is trying to drive. The community really has to dictate what the challenges that they face are, and that's what you solve for day to day. Ryan, it's a great pleasure to pleasure. have you on Thank the you broadcast. So much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you so much, and the best of luck to yes, you. Yes, sir. Steve Young is the Vice President of Innovation and Technology at VIA, the San Antonio Transportation Agency. Welcome to the broadcast, Steve. Thanks for having me. Uh, transportation is part of the smart city, the future city, city of the future, they like to say. Uh, and every conversation I have comes back to transportation as being really vital. And transportation is a big headache in all cities. Uh, how are you dealing with transportation? It's a tough issue, certainly for all cities. Um, I think especially tough here in San Antonio where we're growing by leaps and bounds. A year ago, we were the fastest growing city in, in the United States by sheer number of people. Um, so we know what we're going to face in the future is very different than today, and we see plenty of traffic today. And so um, we're certainly thinking about how do we address those challenges going forward. It's not easy, and there's not any one solution, but if you kind of look at the history of transportation or public transport in the U.S., especially outside of the coast, I think some of our challenges are, are even greater kind of in the interior of the country where our cities tend to develop very spread out, the density's not there, and so that raises, extra, I would say, extra challenges because most of our transport is, you know, it's funneled on highways. We can add more lanes, but we can't add them as fast as we're growing, and so that and, becomes a big issue. And your transport is all buses, right? It's, it's all buses and there's vans. There's no light yeah. rail, there's no subway, it's buses and vans. You've mentioned vans. Uh, where do vans fit in? So vans are, are typically our service for our paratransit customers, so the service we offered to folks in wheelchairs or with other disabilities, and so that's a little bit of a different type of service. It's a door-to-door -door type service, but we have a fairly large fleet of those vans, and we do several thousand trips a day with that service. And how large is your bus fleet? Our bus fleet's about 500 vehicles. How frequently, if you're waiting for a bus in, in this city, how often does a bus come? It's a great question and a very big challenge because depending where you are, it might be as quick as 10 minutes or it might be as long as 30 minutes or an hour. And so that's something we're squarely trying to address here in San Antonio. We've actually partnered with the city of San Antonio to increase frequency on core routes. And despite what we've seen across the U.S. with falling ridership of public transportation the past several years, we've actually seen a pretty large increase on those routes. Once we increase the frequency, we find that people find it much easier to ride. They don't have to think about when they're waiting for a bus. They literally can show up at a bus stop and know that one's going to come. Signage on buses is a very important. You want to know where it's going, uh, not only its ultimate destination, but there's spots along the way. Do you deal with the signage issue? Yes, we, we certainly do. Um, our newest uh, vehicles in the fleet have signage on them, and they do have the capability, and a lot of them are in use today, where 
If you are on the vehicle, you can see a list of the upcoming stops with your stop highlighted there. It's actually, I mean, to your point, a very useful technology for the rider. A lot of times you can't see out the windows, especially like at, when it's dark, like in the mornings or evenings, you really can't see your surroundings with tinted windows very well. And so that signage gives a level of comfort to a rider to know where to get on and off. Now, of course, someone with a cell phone or smartphone might have that same capability here. But once again, it's that convenience, it's the ease of use and... Uh, um, what has your bus fleet really and your innovation in the transportation got to do with the city of the future? Bus, bus fleets are quite old. It's yeah. quite an old concept of transportation, a pretty viable one, but nonetheless, it's not the cutting edge, is it? It's not new technology, is it? It's been around for quite a long time. And so as we think about the growth here and the density of that growth and the, the amount of uh, population moving into San Antonio, we're kind of rethinking a little bit of how we operate buses and where we operate buses as well. So while we know buses work great here in the core of the city, out in our suburban neighborhoods where you have big lots, houses well really spaced out, buses don't necessarily work as well there. And so we actually started a pilot program called Via Link, which is an on-demand van service, a different van service. And that service has done extremely well. We actually put it into an area, left the bus service there, got good usage of it, and we actually pulled out the bus service, and we saw higher ridership with the van service than we ever had with the bus service. The other problem with yeah. all public transportation is parking. If you have to drive to the transportation, right. you have to leave the vehicle, your personal vehicle. This is a problem with trains, it's a sure. problem with subways, and with large bus commuter centers. And so this, this service kind of solves that issue, really, it really hits it head on. Um, you can request in an app or on the phone. You don't have to have technology yourself. But the technology allows that vehicle to pick you up close to your house. It'll drop you off at the local transfer center or transit center and get you on a route down to downtown or wherever you need to go. So we think that's a really good model for the outlying communities where maybe the traditional bus service, it doesn't serve the needs as well. So we're really excited by that. We've identified about 10 more zones of the city that we plan to roll this out to. And you would call up or the, use a, an iPhone or whatever kind of electronic device you have not to advertise a particular product, uh, whatever kind of device you have and summon, almost as though it were a ride-sharing. Yeah, it's, it's really the same, same experience as a ride-share from an app perspective. Um, you know, I think our average wait is somewhere in the realm of 10 minutes. It's not exceedingly long. A lot of people wait much longer for a bus than that. You pay the fare for that vehicle. Once you've paid for that vehicle, it's the same as a bus fare. You can ride all the way through our system. Um, you don't have to keep repaying every ride. And do you, every ride. Do you uh, pay by credit card or by cash? So we have multiple options on our fleet uh, for how you pay. We have an app which is a very popular way to pay. Um, you can pay in that app by credit card, or we have another app called Via Go Mobile where people can uh, pay by credit card. We're actually going to be adding cash as an option to that app. And sometimes well, cash is very important for yes. poor people who are unbanked, who don't have credit cards, and really get the worst of many things at the moment because they're not in the credit card system or the bank card system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of those folks were kind of left behind by a lot of the smart city projects that are tackled, a lot of the digital innovation. A lot of times those folks don't get to take part in that, and we want them to. And so being able to pay with cash is really important. Here in San Antonio, we think our numbers are somewhere in the realm of 40% underbank or unbanked. That's a high number. 82% of our riders have a smartphone, but that means a good portion of those riders probably don't have a credit card to, to leverage the use of our app. 
And do you look around the world to see what mass transit is doing elsewhere? All of us do. You know, we're always watching what others are doing, looking for innovative ideas. I meet with my peers from around the country uh, routinely. We're sharing ideas, best practices, and um, there's a lot of things we want to do. We're always looking for new things. You know, some of it relies on funding that, you know, those are issues we need to tackle. Um, but there's a lot of great ideas out there. We don't have to come up with them all ourselves. Are your buses diesel or some advanced fuel? Um, so a majority of our bus fleet, about, I guess around two-thirds, about a little over 300 of our uh, 500 buses are compressed natural gas. Um, so it's still a fossil fuel, but it's a much cleaner, cleaner burning. Um, we've partnered with our local utility to have an, we have an abundant resource and supply of natural gas down here in South Texas. So we've really cut a lot of the most noxious emissions out of the, that we would have seen with diesel. We still have diesel, but we're in the conversion of our whole fleet and within a few years we should be entirely diesel and we're certainly starting to look at electrics as well. Well, fascinating, Steve. Thank you so much for Thank coming you so on much. the broadcast. Appreciate it. David Zamiello is president of Project Quest. David, you set out to help in this new world, this new world with many required degrees and expertises that were not heretofore important. Mm -hmm. uh, you set out to help the underprivileged get jobs in really complicated worlds. That's how, right. How does Quest work and how is it going? It's going very well. Project Quest is unique. It's uh, 28 years here in San Antonio. Our approach to workforce development is we do reach out to the community and we do focus on people that are part of the underserved community that maybe have had uh, the initial wave of opportunity pass through them and they're in a job that's paying minimum wage, but they're actually interested in creating a life for themselves. So Project Quest actually serves as a lifeline to the underserved community. How do you work with them? Uh, Take, take say, you know, single mother, well, usually the example. It has to start with outreach, first of all. So you have to make uh, the single mother aware of our services. So we're out in the community promoting the services for Project Quest. When we identify you that you have that interest and that desire to get one of those living wage type jobs, we'll bring you into our program. We'll go through a full assessment. Academically, are you up to the academic levels to take on a program? Is your life situation in such a way that you can then take an educational or training program and work through there. You'll be assigned a career coach after the assessment. Your career coach becomes a surrogate parent to you. So we'll help provide the financial resources to pay for your schooling, your tuition, your books. You'll then be uh, assigned to a career coach who's gonna work with you day in and day out to help you develop your so soft skills. So do you skills. start with the educational fix or do you start with the new job plus the education? In order to do we it look properly. to the demand market of what the jobs are out there that are going to pay living wages in healthcare, in information technology, and in the trade. So we're very job focused of where the jobs are, and we match people based on their circumstances, their assessment of what is the right job path for them to get to. In this case here, it's the healthcare industry and it's nursing. Once we've identified you that that's the right job opportunity for you. We then make sure you get the right educational and training experience to be competitive for that job. And these people will be able to fit into the city of the future. Absolutely. If they had not, if they're working, say, at a fast food or one of the really low-end, um, hopeless sort of jobs. Yes, because what we do is we take them through stages. So depending on where you are in your own work life, 
we'll make sure you get the right training, whether it's the soft skill training, the basics training, and then progress you through a career path to make sure you have those credentials or the associate's degree that's competitive for that job in nursing or healthcare or information technology. I have found that one of the big frustrations people have is they simply didn't know the kinds of jobs they could do. Uh, do we have a job market problem there? Or possibilities know. problem? Part of our mission is to make sure there's broad awareness what those job market opportunities are. And people that are in certain life situations, they may not think beyond their local neighborhood of what the opportunities are to expose them to, yes, you can become a systems administrator in IT. Yes, you can become a skilled maintenance technician in the trades area if you pursue this particular path. So part of our role is that awareness and exposure, but it's also then the encouragement and the coaching to not let them quit because this is hard. I mean, what I've learned in my time with job development and training is you just can't put money against it. Is there also a fear of success? Yeah, it's the way you would say, yes, if you've never experienced success in a sense the way we would talk about it, and now you're gonna approach this opportunity because what success may become some responsibilities that you may not be aware of in your family structure. So part of our coaching is job readiness and life coaching to make sure that you can match your own readiness to take not just a job, but how to handle success as we would talk about it here. What is the graduate rate? We have a very great graduate. 90% of the people that come to our program, 90%. Once you come into our umbrella and we see you through, you'll finish your certification or your degree program and you'll be placed in a living wage job. And, and how many bodies are we talking about in a year? Are we talking about? So in a fiscal year, we're touching about 1,100 people a year. Oh, that's substantial. We are intaking. So in our, in our portfolio in a given fiscal year, we're touching about 1,100 a year. We're intaking about four to 500 new enrollees into the program. And we are graduating and placing about the same number, four or five hundred. How long? How long do they stay in the program? It depends. So if you're in a nursing uh, program, on average about 22 months. If you're in an information technology boot camp style training, it could be 13 to 21 weeks. If you're in a trades program, about 18 months. So it varies depending on the nature of the degree program. Do you uh, do you deal with the social impediments to advancement? like childcare, that kind of That thing. is one of our main components of our programs. We break all those barriers down. For example, if you have childcare needs, we can financially help you pay for that childcare. If you uh, can't pay your rent for a period of time, we'll contribute finances to help you get past your living situation. So part of what we do is to break all those barriers down and help you keep focused on your training program. And that's what our coaches do. Our coaches are helping them navigate life, not just the technical part of getting through the training and making sure they're job ready to cope with how do you handle a paycheck? How do you open a bank account? How do you then manage your finances? And, and how do you present yourself in a job? And what age are most of your You know, we, we, we focus and cater to most of the uh, younger adults. And what I mean by that is our median age is 29 or 30 years old. So they've been through high school, they've, they've gone through an initial experience. Some may have just a GED or not even have their GED yet, maybe a little bit of college, but they've been in a job that they're working that basically is minimum wage, possibly on a, a financial public assistance. So those are the circumstances that they then express 
a desire or will that they want to improve their station in life and we expose them to our resources making them aware and we onboard them that way very impressive david thank you so much for thank you for the time on. appreciate it very much thank you i'm linda gasparillo co-host of white house chronicle and i'm in san antonio texas today with paula gold williams who is the president and ceo of cps energy she is also somebody who grew up in the military and as many of you know San Antonio is the home to Joint Base San Antonio. Absolutely. Tell me something about having grown up in the military and what that means for you as a CEO here. Oh, wow. Um, my, my father actually um, is not a Texan. My mother was a Texan. I've lost both of my parents. But my dad decided to see the world and um, join the military and end up coming here for training and met my mother. And um, it's been a part of letting me see the globe. I mean, um, we were stationed in Okinawa when I was one and even one to four. And I have very vivid memories of it as a child and being a very different background and being exposed to that because of the military. Um, these many years ago, and this is when Alaska, even though it was part of the United States, was considered an overseas assignment. My father got stationed there when I was uh, in grade school. And um, we lived in two terms in, in Maryland. Before that, my dad had seen um, uh, uh, Saudi and Turkey and Greece. And so really all over all the world. All over, and he, he explained those things to me. But it was all because the military has this global mission and so um, that was huge. And then being a, being a product and a child, a, a military dependent is a loving term in the military. It is a network of people who, um, it's like a village and you better not mess up because your parents will know before you ever make it home from school. But that in, in many ways gave us such a sense of security. Even when we lived on open bases, it just, right. that whole thing about understanding a, a commonality and a, everybody's a team and there are missions beyond your individual responsibility um, are important to me and that, because I was raised to, to respect it and appreciate it. The thing is that now here in San Antonio you really do have the feeling that it's more than one city. It's two cities really. It's a civilian city and it's also a military city. But having grown up in the military you must have some unique perspective on the needs of the military as well as the needs of the civilian population. This is really happening quickly now with the smart city vision that's being implemented here in the city of San Antonio and of which you're a huge part of being a municipally owned utility. Well, I, you know, I have to go back and think and uh, talk a little bit more again about my background. For years, I did not know what my father did. I did not, I, and I didn't think anything about it. And my dad was very, um, down to earth, very unassuming, like to be, talk, you know, like he would like to be in a room talking to people and just talk about anything. He taught me the love of sports and basketball and football. And so we never talked about it, but I didn't really know it's because he couldn't. Um, he worked on Security Hill, in, um, and particularly when I finally got conscious of what he did, we were in Maryland, and, and, um, and then every so often, because of, you know, his work, they would come in and check in the neighborhood and they would ask neighbors like, does your father talk about his job? Um, and ask the neighbor, does he talk about his job? He never talked about his job. Yeah. But, but later, one day he came home and he bought me a punch card. 
back then when everything was run off punch cards. And that is the most my dad ever talked to me about military. I asked what it is, he just said, we do, we process millions of these cards. That's all he would say. So I had this huge appreciation that security yes. and the nation's security is run off of technology that is evolving all the time. And those things are extremely important. And JBSA, um, all of our network That's here. Joint Base Joint San Base Antonio. San Antonio um, is a network of bases. And they, one of the biggest, it's the second biggest cyber command um, in the nation behind um, on the East Coast, the one on the East Coast. And um, we are the benefactors of thinking about supporting the military from their cyber needs to their general daily operations. There's a big medical facility here. And so I often tell my employees, um, we need to be focused because what happens to the military affects us locally, affects the state, affects the nation, and affects the globe just through that affiliation. And the military has had a, a renewed sense of being more connected to the civilian population, so to speak. Um, it is common now for generals to come out to community events and um, stay connected and invite us in and tell us about uh, the visions that, that they have and where they're going. And they're inviting the civilian community to come in and help them solve some everyday problems. There are cities within the cities. They are. And so they have, they have school systems and um, all types of, of perspectives on trying to make sure that their kids get the best education, even though in many cases they're moving around every two years. That's it's right. moving every two years in support of their parents who are serving. In some cases, both parents are serving. So um, it's, it is a special community, and it's getting better and better every day because you have outreach and connection on both sides. I know in the military, and I know the Chamber of Commerce here, would like to see some kind of legislation that would make JBSA a test bed, really, for smart cities. It is very much open. I do tell my team... We don't need to necessarily go drive the focus. We don't need to, to say, you need to be doing this or doing that. We need to ask them, what do they need? When we did an inventory, and it actually had some very good uh, aspects of it, predominantly. There are pockets of things that need to be addressed, and we're taking that over. Um, we have an agreement to do that. We're helping them upgrade their systems. Um, and that's just the day-to-day, -day. when I talk about, you've got to deal with the system that someone currently Definitely. has. But they are also interested in microgrids, renewables, um, uh, more connections and relationships in terms of, of being introduced to new technologies. And we're doing that as well with them. So um, we, again, are willing to go where they want to go because it matters and um, figured out how we can put together our dollars and their dollars. They are being very creative and looking to see when they're allocating um, funds from the DOD and creating projects. We are collaboratively working on those things and it feels great. That's terrific. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thank you. That's our show for today. We say goodbye to you from San Antonio, Texas and my perch on Riverwalk a project that has made this city, along with the Alamo and its great music, world famous and a major tourist destination, as well as being a source of great innovation in many areas. We will see you on the same stations next week. Until then, all the best 
Cheers. We are now available as a podcast. Search for White House Chronicle in Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite audio platform and subscribe to never miss our weekly shows.